Please rise as you're able for the reading of God's word. This is taken from chapter, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho, and passing through it, a man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and I have if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek out and to save the lost. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Mark, for reading our lesson this morning, and to all of you, how good it is to be uh, with you in worship on this beautiful day. We're grateful to the Sunshine and Jubilation Choirs, and it's hard to believe, isn't it, that two weeks from this morning, when you come into the sanctuary, it will be transformed in the beauty of Advent, and two weeks from this afternoon, we look forward to what I think is one of the most meaningful worship experiences in the life of, of the Christian year, and that is our Advent concerts in the Narthex. Uh, you will have three choices, 3.30, 5, and 7, and we look forward to that special time of preparation for the coming of Jesus. Some of you, no doubt, will be traveling this week. You are in our prayers. We are very, very thankful that we'll be at home uh, this week. We have uh, in-laws coming Tuesday and outlaws coming Wednesday and everybody on Thursday, and we look forward to that, and we pray that God will bless your table and bless your fellowship as you enjoy this wonderful Thanksgiving season. So this morning, we've come to the conclusion of what has been a five-week series called The Art of Sharing, and we come to this time of commitment and thanksgiving with a story that is very, very familiar to most of you, the story of Zacchaeus. Anybody remember the song we used to sing as little ones, maybe in vacation Bible school? I think it had hand motions and choreography with it as well. James, where are you? Are you here? Can you know that song? You do know that song. We little man was he. He climbed. Zacchaeus, how many of you did not know that song? Raise your hand. Oh gosh, most of you, uh, half of you here. 
Oh, well, that needs to go in the hymn book. Uh, we need to make sure that goes in the hymn book. Well, so our children, what's interesting is during this series, our children have been hearing these stories, the same stories that we've been studying in the sanctuary on the weekend, and, and, and not just hearing them, but also bringing them to life through their artwork. And Ellen and Megan have given us some of their artwork. If we can go to the next slide, uh, you can see some of these pictures. And this is Thomas, Isaac, and Lucy. And they themselves are beautiful artwork as well. And they've been working on these stories as we have. We're grateful that we've kind of aligned this series so that they're working on the same text that we are during the weekends. And so Luke 19 begins like this. The story begins with Jesus who is passing through Jericho. Now, some of you have been to Jericho. Uh, We're going in February. We're taking a group from Brentwood. Jericho is located about 15 miles northeast of Jerusalem. It is just above the Dead Sea. Jericho is believed to be one of the oldest inhabited cities in the world that actually goes back 11,000 years. Archaeologists have unearthed no less than 20 successive settlements in that area of the Jordan River Valley. It is often referred to in the Bible as the city of palm trees. It is an oasis of fertile fields. In fact, the word Jericho literally in the old language means fragrance. So you can, you can smell the beauty as you approach this oasis. In Luke 19, Jesus seems clear now about the destination of his life. In fact, according to Luke, he has known since the ninth chapter, verse 51, where it says, and Jesus steadfastly set his face towards Jerusalem. He knows that he's on the way to the cross where he's going to give his life as a sacrifice for our sins. In the scene just prior, Mark, to what you read in chapter 18, verse 35 and following, Jesus, on the outskirts of the city of Palms, on the outskirts of Jericho, heals a blind man. His name was Bartimaeus. And then he enters into the city. The word is out that Jesus is coming, and there's a large crowd that has assembled. And there, if you look closely, you will see in the crunch of the crowd, Zacchaeus. It's interesting to me that his name, you know what his name means? It means pure. It means innocent, which, by the way, had to be a joke to the townsfolk. In their eyes, Zacchaeus was anything but pure and innocent. In fact, he was a publican. He was a tax collector. In other words, Zacchaeus worked for the occupying forces, the Roman government. And what's interesting is he's not just a garden variety employee. He's not just a tax collector. He is a chief tax collector. In other words, Zacchaeus is the district superintendent He's the regional manager. He's the grand poobah of the area. He's Mr. Big. Luke describes him as a small man, small in stature. We sang it, a wee little man. Some say that that remark is actually indicative of his age, that he was a very young man. Others say no, 
he was actually vertically challenged. I did some research and discovered recently that the average height of a Middle Eastern male in the first century, you know what it was? Five feet one. And so this man is below average. Maybe he's 4'6", maybe he's 4'7". I don't know about you, but for some reason, I've always had a special place in my heart for short people. I don't know why, but, and you probably won't believe this, but when I started in the ministry, I was six foot six. <laughs> I was. And, and this, this is what 36 years will do to a person. You remember Randy Newman's song, Short People Got No Reason? I hated that song. And so Zacchaeus is a short man. It's probably a metaphor for the fact that there were many who thought he didn't have much character. What you need to know is that in the Jewish culture, a Jewish tax collector was a traitor. A Jewish tax collector was a Benedict Arnold, unpatriotic, a heretic, because tax collectors in the first century were known to abuse the system. They were known to collect more than their fair share, more than the law commanded, and they would line their own pockets. So they were often shunned and maybe legitimately excluded by the synagogue. But there's something different about this man. It's like he's on a quest. It's like he's got a mission. He wants to see Jesus. Somewhere along the line, Zacchaeus had heard a rumor that Jesus had friends in low places. In fact, the word on the street was that Jesus may have even had a disciple on his lead team who was a tax collector, and he wanted to see Jesus. I love the text because there's this air of desperation in Zacchaeus. He, he, he's in a hurry. You notice that? There's a sense of urgency. He's running. And in the first century, men, particularly men of means and position, they don't run. In our culture, we say, don't ever let them see you sweat. In first century, don't ever let them see you run. In fact, he even hikes himself up a tree just so he can see this rabbi who's passing by. And my favorite part of the story, I love this part of the story, it turns out <laughs> that not only is Zacchaeus looking for Jesus, Jesus is looking for Zacchaeus. And what happens next is nothing less than stunning. As Jesus is on the way, to Jerusalem. As he's passing by through Jericho, he looks up and he sees this little big man and he calls him by name. I wonder how on earth did he know? Zacchaeus, he says, I love the old King James, make haste, come down, for I must stay at your house today. That's an interesting choice of words, isn't it? You hear the imperative in that? He didn't say, I want to stay at your house. He didn't say, I should, I need to, I could. He said, I must. What does that mean? Later in verse 10, at the conclusion that Mark read, you see Jesus' personal mission statement. It says this, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. 
In other words, it means that he didn't come to spend all his time with people who were already found, people who were already insiders. He came for the least. He came for the last. He came for the lost. He came for those of us who think we're in the margins. He came for people who are on the skids, who, like Zacchaeus, are living lives of quiet desperation. I must, he said. I did a funeral here about three days ago for Quirito Castillo, who was a member of our church, Hispanic-American. When I was a seventh grader growing up at McKendry Church, Mr. Castillo was my Sunday school teacher. When I was assigned here and I saw him, I said to his wife, I will never be able to call your husband by his first name. It will always be Mr. Castillo. He was a PK, preacher's kid. His daddy was a Hispanic Baptist missionary, and they came across the border years and years ago. Quirito was born in Del Rio, and he started a Spanish-speaking ministry in Texas. Corito would go on to the University of Kentucky after the Korean War. He became a bridge builder for the Federal Highway Department, and he built bridges not just Monday through Friday, but he did it on the weekends too. His family told me before the service something that I will never forget. They said, we were coming home from church one Sunday, and the whole family was together, and Dad saw somebody who had broken down on the side road said it was a long-haired fella, he's probably 20 or 21, and dad pulled off and went out and told the man, I'm going to take my family home and I'll come back and help you. And the fella thought, sure you will. But sure enough, he did. After he delivered his family home, he came back, he pulled off the side of the road, the man was still there, he put him in his car, he got the tow truck, he brought him back home, he had never seen him before, He brought him back to his own home. He fed him at the table, and he gave him a place to stay at night, and his wife was concerned about it. The next day, on his way he went, the car had repaired, and Gene said, almost every year after that occasion, we knew that this man was passing through because there would be a basket of fruit on the front porch, or there would be an arrangement of flowers. And I remember thinking when she shared this with me that I'd always thought that Mr. Castillo was Hispanic, and he was, but I think he was also a little bit Samaritan. There are some things that we do because we must. Jesus said, I must go home with you. So Zacchaeus hustles down, receives Jesus with joy, and watch this. Contrast Zacchaeus' response with the response of the crowd. Verse 7, all who saw this began to grumble, and they said, he has gone, this rabbi has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. And so it's partly a question and partly an exclamation point. It's interesting to me that the word grumble in the Greek is gagutso, gagutso. That's a word, its meaning sounds like what it really means. It's complaint, it's criticism, it's, it's murmuring. We call that onomatopoeia 
where the sound of a word sounds like what it means, like drizzle or like sprinkle or squirt, gagutso. And so they're grumbling against Jesus. I think sometimes that the language of complaint in the 21st century has become our native tongue, even more so than praise sometimes. But it's not the first time you see it. You see it in Luke 5, verse 30. You remember where Jesus called Levi, a tax collector, to be a disciple. And Levi, also called Matthew, got so excited that he threw a party for Jesus and invited all his rowdy friends. And the scribes and Pharisees were walking their dogs that night by Levi's house, and they heard the music and dancing. And they said, why does this teacher eat with people like that? And Jesus said, look, it's not those who are well who need a physician. It's those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. There are some things we do because we must. I think the key to Luke 19 is in Zacchaeus' second response. I want you to watch this. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stood there, remember that line, stood there and said, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay it back four times as much. Now, I want you to notice in the slide, you see the word will? You see there's a little slash through it? There's a reason for that. In the New Revised Version that you read for us, Mark, that word will is in the text. I will give to the poor half my goods. But in earlier translations of what Zacchaeus said, that word will is not in the text. In those that are closer to the Greek, there is no will. It simply says, I give to the poor. And so if you take that word out, you've got a different meaning in the text, don't you? If you keep it in, then Zacchaeus is speaking in the future tense. In other words, from now on, I will. But in the older texts, the word isn't there. What Zacchaeus is saying is, I already give half of everything I have to the poor. I'm already being generous. I'm already sharing my resources. Now, if that's true, then Zacchaeus is not repenting. He's defending himself in the eyes of the religious crowd, and I think that's exactly what he's doing. You know why I believe that? Because of his posture. The posture of repentance is kneeling. The posture of a defense is standing. He is standing before Jesus and the religious community, and he's saying, I have been living as though the reign of the Messiah is already in effect even before I met Jesus. So if that's true, what Jesus is doing in this text, you know what Jesus is doing? He's removing the stigma, the stereotype of being a tax collector. He's saying that you can collect taxes and still be a disciple. Oh, I hate when Jesus does things like that. 
It just messes up all my theology. Jesus is so annoying. A generous tax collector? Right. A good Samaritan? Right. A female disciple? Right. A godly Roman centurion? A baptized Ethiopian eunuch? I feel like I need to warn some of you that you need to watch out for rabbis like Jesus because they'll let just anybody in. Anybody. Sounds like prevenient grace to me. That's a Wesleyan term. It's the idea that God is already at work in you even before you're aware of it. Even before you ever knew that there was a God, God God was searching for you. And so even in Zacchaeus' running and tree climbing, God was pursuing him, come down, I must. And today he says, salvation has come to this house. And then he doesn't call him Zacchaeus anymore. What does he call him? Son of Abraham. He's not talking about lineage. He's not talking about pedigree or ethnicity. He's talking about ethics. He's not talking about his roots. He's talking about his fruit. His generosity is a sign of his sonship. His sharing is evidence of his salvation. Reminds me a little bit of John the Baptist, doesn't it you? When he was preaching out in the Jordan Valley to the crowds, they were coming out And John noticed that a lot of the religious professionals were coming too, and and John was not known to pull any punches. And when he saw these religious professionals, he was suspicious. And so listen how he addresses them. Hey, you bunch of snakes. John was a very timid preacher. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit that is worthy of your repentance. And don't pretend to say, we have Abraham as our father, we have a tradition, for I tell you that God can raise up from these stones children of Abraham. It's the fruit, it's the action, it's the ethics that he's looking for. And so the crowds all of a sudden come to him and say, what do we have to do? And John answers them specifically. You've got two coats in your closet, give one to somebody who's cold. You've got more food than you need in your pantry. Give it to somebody who's hungry. The soldiers came. What must we do? Be content with your wages and stop extorting and bullying people. And the tax collectors even came. What must we do? And John said, don't take more than your fair share. Stop cheating people and be content with what you have. What's interesting to me is John didn't say to the tax collectors, you need to give your two weeks. You need to resign your position. You need to go to seminary. You need to get on a boat and go witness in Africa. John didn't say that. He said, you don't have to leave your post to be fruitful. You can do it at the office. You can live it out in the school. You can share your faith in your business, in your firm, in your clinic, in your squadron, in your home, in your church. Be generous right where you are. 
How many times we say, oh, if I could only get to so-and-so, if I could only get here, then I could be a blessing. God cannot bless you where you are not, only where you are. A child of Abraham, a disciple of Jesus, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. One other word. A hundred years ago, last Sunday, November the 11th, the Allied forces in the German army signed what we call an armistice for the cessation of hostilities and the end of World War I. In the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918, the Great War ended. My wife, Sherry, had a grandfather who was a kid in Michigan when he was drafted by the Army. He was born in 1895. He was sent to the front lines in Belgium and France. Company F, 103rd in the 28th Division. Her grandfather was a bugler. He trained and broke horses. The family, they live in Georgia. They still have the discharge papers. Mr. Huffman was honorably discharged at the age of 23, and after the armistice, they gave him $86 and a ticket home to Detroit, where he became a plumber for the rest of his life. The family said he didn't talk much about the war. They never really knew the pain that he carried in his heart and in his mind. He once mentioned to my mother-in-law that the hardest thing he ever had to do was collect dog tags from fallen comrades. But he never lost his faith. He never stopped looking up. He was a son of Abraham. In fact, Mr. Huffman raised three boys for the ministry, one of whom is my father-in-law. Sherry's parents still keep those discharge papers and on the paper, under the section that's called testimonial, it says this, Harry Huffman served with honest and faithful service. That's it. I, I don't know if that's on every slip, but that's what it says on his. Honest and faithful. When I think about those papers, I think about my letter in the church. I think about my baptismal slip that still has the name of my great uncle on it from 1960. I think of my own profession of faith. As a Christ follower, we're called to be kind of on the front lines, sometimes in difficult places, for a great mission. And Jesus has called you out. He's called you out. And if I'm a disciple, if you're a follower of Jesus, you took a vow when you were baptized or confirmed. When I said yes to Jesus, I didn't compartmentalize. I said prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness, nothing else to give. And there is no discharge for discipleship. Someday, the Scripture says, we will stand before the living God. And I find myself hoping that the testimonial 
for the church, for me and for you, will be honest and faithful. Because what we do here is a must. That's what it means to be a son, a daughter of Abraham, a disciple to the glory of God. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for the joy that's ours to hear you call our name, to say to us, come and follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men and women. I'll make you a disciple. What a joy. We thank you for the gift of faith. We thank you for the gift of a faith family. And we thank you for the gift of a mission that outlives us, that has eternal ripples. And for the joy of generosity, for the joy of sharing our lives with you and for you and for the sake of others, we're eternally grateful. We pray that in our time of commitment, in our time of prayer, and praise that you would be very near to us as we offer to you all that we are, all that we have, for the sake of the mission that we must share in to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.